everyone welcome to another episode of Incidacast as we start the uh, spooky Halloween season and of course there's no better way to start such a season without talking about the Halloween films and of course films this uh, significant and important to, to horror and the history it can't be done alone <laughs> so I'm here once again with my good friend Lawrence who did uh, the hereditary episode with me and he's going to come with me all the way through these Halloween franchises. Hello. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me back. I do enjoy doing a bit of a podcast here and there. So this is good fun. Um, I'm glad to be here. Um, so uh, uh, it's 2018 today, or are we doing uh, the 1970s one? I'm going to do uh, the 1978, the original Halloween. Uh, we've got to start from the beginning. What? Awful news, by which I mean great news, because it's an amazing film. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there's just—I mean, what can you say about it in, in some ways that hasn't already been said? Um, You're not wrong. Where would you like to start? Uh, I'm going to start with some summary of the beginning of the film. Uh, so obviously, it was released in 1978, uh, written and directed by John Carpenter, of course. Bit of screenplay as well from Deborah Hill, um, R.I.P. Um, and has a, a very unique cast, many of which have gone on to have pretty amazing careers. No particular order, of course. Uh, there's Donald Pleasant, who plays Sam Lunas, again, R.I.P. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who everyone knows as Laurie Strode, a.k.a. The Final Girl. Nick Castle is the OG Michael Myers, slash The Shape. Um, and then I guess I think the only kind of real significant other person I'd mention is Nancy Keys, who played Annie, which is um, Laurie's like best friend with the brown curly hair. I think everyone kind of remembers her. Um, she also starred alongside Jamie Lee Curtis in The Fog. Uh, I have made my opinions known about The Fog already, just not on this podcast. I did it on someone else's. Um, very mixed feelings about that film. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I am a big fan of John Carpenter, so it's it's inevitable, really. Well, it's it's one for the list. Uh, so yeah, um, Halloween has, I mean, an impeccable amount of film historic value. I think so much so that it's actually uh, recognised and, um, I think, sort of stored as like a a signifying piece of American culture, um, which is crazy impressive. And I remember when I did film studies in college, this is one of the films we talked about just because of uh, the sheer amount of craftsmanship that went into this film. I know you sort of hadn't seen this before, at least the other films, but you'd seen like a bit of Halloween in the past. And I think it's always kind of fun when I drag people into horror and I'm just like, give it a try, watch it again, see what you think. Uh, what was your kind of first impressions even going into Halloween? So my first impressions were that um, you could see sort of all the hallmarks of Carpenter's work um, in there already, um, in that 
it's just so well filmed like every shot is lovely um it's definitely got that 1970s look of like pitch darkness in the blacks like and mm-hmm. and dark colors on the screen um whereas um you know uh the you know the later films obviously do not have that because they're using better technology mm-hmm. on the cameras um but it's just it's just really really well filmed it's really enjoyable uh but also it's got that creepiness it's got um music that's really different than what was being used at the time yeah. in other slasher films like obviously psycho is extremely famous for a particular st- uh, sting um but then you also have um black christmas which i'm given to understand has very different music uh yeah. and also um it it's just it is just so revolutionary because there was just not a film like this with with such a relentless um antagonist who is almost um and you're all going to get sick of me saying this but some kind of preternatural force for evil in the world um it's almost like satan himself spat him out um and i just i just love it everyone um even even the bits that haven't aged so well like the fact <laughs> that my partner she pointed out she was like oh that's a very soft floor that michael myers has just fallen on in one scene <laughs> and uh it was extremely funny you know we we both yeah. laughed um but it didn't ruin the film for me it, it enhanced it because it made me think wow like these guys were punching so high above their weight yeah because things like that like would normally be they, they wouldn't ruin a film but they would make it a worse experience and in that regard uh it's it's just so so fantastic i think i think the only thing that i could really criticize is that because of the budget some of the actors they got clearly did not think that the film was going anywhere and Mm. it's it's a shame um because everyone else did well out of this film um and for that you you know that's the only thing that took me out of it was some of the acting was absolutely terrible but uh i mean that's uh that's something that's kind of a given quite a lot in in horror films especially early horror as well yeah generally um a lot of horror horror films have been this sort of um greenlit they're they're done on a short budget for a reason just because they want to make big money Um, Mm -hmm. usually a lot of people went to see horror films just to get scared and you know hug their significant other and um, there was never any much emphasis on the story being good or even the film being good quite a lot of the time uh, yeah and and i think that you know you can you can see that in the attitudes of of the actors and actresses that worked on that film yeah um they became uh that they, they like some of them do not put in good performances however everyone important does like yeah. uh dr loomis is fantastic and i am given to understand he returned in a lot of the sequels and i imagine the only reason he didn't return in um 
in this one was just because he'd passed, uh, which is a damn shame because he clearly, you know, he really, he's the one selling it for me um, at times. Like, mm -hmm. you can tell it's an early film for Jamie Lee Curtis and that's fine, but she's great as well. You know, mm -hmm. Picture of American Innocence uh, or the Imagined Innocence of Americans. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and in that regard, you know, is it's great she does a great job she's a pretty strong character as well mm -hmm. you know she's obviously very different than her peers um who are like sort of portrayed as being sort of i mean promiscuous which yeah. fine that that's not really you know it it's a morality tale in its own way and in that regard i didn't really enjoy it I'll be honest. Well, um, part of this is down to um, a lot of tropes that became quite um, a staple in slasher, but it's not yeah. um, it's not unique specifically to Halloween. It kind of started in other places, and then um, Halloween sort of enhanced on it, and then other sort of films after that solidified them as like tropes, so to speak. But <laughs> you know, like I said, um, I think. A lot of these films are kind of hit and miss for a lot of people. Some people get into films because they really want to become a film star. And some people just fall into it by accident and they don't really care. It was just like a way to make money back in the day. A good example of this is Johnny Depp. <laughs> um, yeah. He wanted to be a musician and just fell into Nightmare on Elm Street and became a massive movie star. So, you know, it can always be very... Uh, hit and miss sometimes with the cast and i i do agree i think a lot of the cast is absolutely solid i think the only person i've ever really kind of had complaints about was nancy keys and to be fair, i didn't really mind her in halloween too much i i really did not like her in the fog she was just wooden there's just no other way to put it so much so and the fact that a character in that was just so pointless i was just like why are you even here <laughs> but um yeah everyone else does a really, really good job so obviously um kind of talk about some of the more historical parts of Halloween. I guess people can put it down to two main um, influences, two that you've highlighted already. So the Psycho, um, basically known as the birth of Slasher, or at least the potential concept of Slasher before it sort of got defined. And then there was Black Christmas. Black Christmas, I think, had a little bit more of a significant role in the sense that, like Halloween, this was the first time we got to see a lot of POV shots from a killer, a lot of stalking position, and quite um quite an exploitative viewpoint, you know. Uh, yeah. Stalking on innocent people tends to be girls, tends to be alone, you know, at night. And Halloween kind of took that stuff and I think kind of elevated it a little bit more. Um, not that Black Christmas was ever bad, obviously, because I think um even a lot of people in the industry really respect that film and hoped for a sequel, but it never happened. And in many ways, Halloween is kind of a love letter sequel but made by different people and a bit more yeah. refined. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that was one of the really shocking things about it when you think that the, that the film is John Carpenter's first major outing. It is kind of incredible what a tight film it is. Mm -hmm. Um I was expecting more like, oh, this is the first film. You know, maybe there'll be a bit bit too much exposition here or a bit too much there. 
-hmm. And in that regard, it's not. It's really tight script. I liked uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character of Laurie Strode. She's she's quite a a strong character for for that era, where women are generally portrayed as as helpless and um you know that in of itself is good um obviously i i understand it's like a slasher tradition almost to have like this they're punishing the promiscuous teenagers like yeah <laughs> almost and i'm not a huge fan of it it's a bit puritanical for me like yeah um but at the same time you know uh i'm i kind of just view it as a bit of fun because i don't think it's uh really doing anything particularly harmful no yeah um, it, it was it's all made for entertainment i think the one thing that i can see that's been very good about horror um amongst slasher but also other genres i mean like you can look at alien um mm. the, the concept of like a final girl was cemented in many ways uh with halloween after it was kind of done with psycho and black christmas and the final girl is very much um, a kick in the teeth of this kind of, you know, dogma over promiscuity. It's like, the, yeah, the final girl is probably a virgin, but realistically, she she kicks she kicks the killer's ass. That's like that's the point. She gets away. She saves she saves herself. You know, this is the case for like Last House on the Left or any type of um, horror film that uses a final girl and you know there was I, I agree after many decades where the final girl concept was a bit overdone and many um horror films kind of moved away from that but you still see it today and you know now that we have more halloween films to de delve into like we see more of the final girl and, and what that can evolve into so halloween again is many ways setting new trends for potentially the future of yeah absolutely i mean i really uh without you know obviously ruining our review of halloween 2018 um it it was very enjoyable seeing a sort of wily like i'm getting ready for you michael <laughs> laurie uh, as opposed to as you say the final girl that is yeah. quite often used in slashes um i also enjoyed uh you know the way it felt consistent to her character because she is a oh she's tough you know yeah. she's tough not take any messing off anybody not off the kids and not off um not off michael um and i enjoyed that she sort of uh fights back a little against michael but uh -huh. um yeah it's it's so difficult to talk about this film for me in some ways because i just feel like i'm just going to say things that people have said but it's a really tight script or there's no wasted shots as either yeah. like there's no shots that i'm like well why am i looking at this like yeah i am as you as i have said before in, on this cast and to you um like i am picky with what i want to see in my films and mm -hmm. I didn't have a point where I was like, "Oh, this is this is completely gratuitous. This is completely unnecessary." Like, I don't, I didn't feel like at all frustrated. One of my first 
slasher movies uh, for a bit of personal history was a rather crap remake of My Bloody Valentine. Um, <laughs> and it is it was completely dreadful, apart from one really good kill with the pickaxe. Was that um was that the three D one? It was. It was yeah. awful. Absolutely <laughs> atrocious film, Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't think anyone uh, liked that, to be honest. I, I am not surprised. Um, but yes, uh, it was, you know, uh, a pretty bad start for me in terms of films, because, uh, in, in terms of the slasher genre, because it kind of represents all the worst habits of, of the genre, whereas Halloween really doesn't. It is like I say, no waste, no no haste, and you see everything. There are some limitations, but mm -hmm. when you think about the money that was spent on this film, which was three hundred thousand dollars, yeah, pretty much. That is what they did with it. it. It's like not a penny was was wasted, not one, because it is a fantastic film, and it also goes to show that you don't need big complicated scenes with CGI or anything like that. You just need a scary bloke in a Bill Shatner mask who, who goes around stabbing people in complete silence with a bit of heavy breathing and True. a piano riff. Because, yeah. man, that theme is so effective even now. Like, again, yeah. to go back to Halloween 2018, the ways in which they sort of improved on it were great, but it's still the core of a lot of the soundtrack and I have to say, I, I felt very um, tense at times, which, again, not expecting that, because I thought, oh, this film's quite old. Um, you know, it's not going to make me feel how I imagine people felt in the day when it came out, because it was it was new and kind of exciting. Yeah. But I, I was wrong. It was, it was really good at getting me sort of like, you know, He's over there. That pantomime feeling, almost. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I've it's... talked for a long time, so I'm going to shut now. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's fine. Uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting that you said, um, you know, you didn't find that it, in many ways it was over top. It was kind of like a creative decision, actually. I think they intended to use uh, as little blood as possible. And, you know, it's one of the amazing things when you look at the film in, in that perspective. There actually is very little blood. Um, it's on people's clothes, but you never see anything um, applied really to people in many ways and it kind of makes the film i think that bit more respectable for a lot of people because it, it didn't need to be in your face and full of gore to make a point about something you know it, it was creepy on its own without the need for you know the extra detail like the blood was there because it was necessary in some scenes but um it wasn't about the blood it was about the mood and the intimidation the music does a very good job of that because i mean really there's actually very little amount of scenes in this film without music music is all the way through the film almost it continually sets uh the tone and the theme of what happens it goes up and down and escalates when it needs to and because of that it kind of it locks you into that world almost you know it doesn't yeah it doesn't lose you by sort of becoming a bit too i don't know a bit too airy it yeah keeps the focus on this is the theme not just yeah. what you see but what you hear like this is the theme throughout the film and it's amazing obviously one of the things that people talk about a lot 
with this film, which is absolutely rightfully so, it's just all the camera work. You've got these amazing wide shots. Wide shots are not very typical for horror films, especially uh, like not in the 70s, 80s era. Um, you know, it was all about the the zoom in about dramatic scenes, you know, and sometimes they'd zoom in to hide um, gore. So it'd be like, they'll zoom into someone's face when they're getting stabbed so they don't have to like show a lot of the um, actual stabbing. <laughs> uh, but this film, just constant wide shots. Because of that, you get to play a bit of, um, you know, like a bit of a looking game where you're trying to see if there's someone in bushes or behind walls and stuff like that. It's just great. And because of that, like, Michael feels relentless throughout the whole film because he might be there and he might not be there. And it's it's all down to just having, like, a big empty space on screen where people can speculate for themselves. It's incredible filmmaking. It, it truly is. Yeah. And uh, I think I think in that, um, time to use my film knowledge. Um, it was reminiscent of a really great, um, though incredibly long, and very famous film about uh, the Vietnam War. Let me just uh, pull up some information about it. Um, if Firefox doesn't crash which is a pretty big if. Um, there we go. That is a big uh, <laughs> It's a film called The Deer Hunter, um, one oh. of my favorites, and it was around the same time that it came out. It was out in 1978, uh, and it also has a lot of wide shots, but it uses more um, sort of static wide shots, whereas I think what Halloween does so well um, is... Uh, it uses a lot more motion, and it it really tries to use interesting motion, like to to kind of get you looking from the perspective of Michael, for example. He essentially uses the Michael shots to um, heighten the tension um, in a lot of scenes. Um, I, I found that really cool. I thought it was interesting because I've seen it used in other films. But never so effectively, um, and I think, again, it's one of those things where where I was saying like, there's there's not a lot you can say about it that hasn't already been said. But it was pioneering in that way, and it it doesn't surprise me um, that after this you get films like Nightmare on Elm Street, because people were going to have seen this and and gone, well, I want to make movies now. That's how good this film is. Um, yeah, absolutely, and and I think some of that is lost in in sort of watching it now, because you have to watch it from the perspective of this came out in the late seventies, where the only film that was anywhere, well, the only films that were anywhere even close to this, that were hugely popular, were Black Black Christmas and um, Psycho, which you know, great film. Uh, absolutely incredible film uh, mm -hmm. and much chocolate sauce was expended in the shower but uh, <laughs> yes it's it's a fantastic sort of it's a love letter to that in its own way but I do find Michael Myers more intimidating than I find Norman Bates and I think that's just because Norman Bates and his motivations are a little dated now but, yeah. Plus, we get um, to we actually get to see some of the um, 
the human side of of Norman Bates, whereas with Michael, we are very much uh, obscured from who he is and you know what he thinks and his motivations, which I guess kind of makes me want to go into a bit of some of the plot points, I guess. Um, so essentially, for people that for some crazy reason have never seen Halloween, <laughs> um, so essentially, obviously, it follows uh, a six-year-old boy called Michael, Michael Myers, and he kills his sister Judith with a kitchen knife, and essentially he gets locked away in um, what would be like a, a mental asylum at the time, or like an institution, and then obviously he like escapes and goes on a killing spree. Good fun. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting because the only kind of real uh, inward view that we get of Michael is through Dr. Loomis. And Dr. Loomis sort of has very impersonal feelings about Michael. It's very much like he doesn't sympathize with him as a human being. In fact, he sees him almost as like a like an animal or some kind of entity that just needs to be put down and destroyed because he's escaped and um, it's a very interesting perspective because it sells a lot for Michael without Michael having to do things himself. Uh, sometimes, like, a story about someone is probably more interesting than that person giving their life story. I think I think what's more interesting about it as well is, is again, it's that sort of... This whole film is... You could sum it up pretty simply by saying less is more. Yeah, where absolutely. it's not a complicated backstory. He killed his sister... Um, you know, stabbed her over and over again, and now continues to do that. It was formative, um, and he doesn't really have a reason to. Um, you know, I think just as somebody who enjoys true crime, most of them have some kind of defining event that, that either pushes them that way or some kind of product that they're getting out of killing. Um, that they're that they're not getting in some other way that they need. So with just as an easy and relevant example, Jeffrey Dahmer is looking for his own strange version of companionship, you know? Um, and Michael is a serial killer, but what makes him interesting is that Michael is not looking for anything. Yeah. Michael is just, Michael's just killing. He wants to kill. Yeah. He enjoys killing in some way, and that's all there is to it. The, there are people like that, but they're exceedingly rare. Um, they don't. They don't really uh, exist uh, often. And when they do, you know, it's normally again process or product. And Michael is just. It doesn't matter. He's just killing because. He liked it because he doesn't even seem to like it. He's just killing. Yeah, um, it's kind of a, kind of a theme that uh, Doctor Loomis goes on about. Quite yeah, well. he, he he's portrayed as as you say as as almost a supernatural form of evil. Which I know. Don't worry, I'm glad he's not. Um, I kind of like that he's just a guy whose only compulsion is to kill. Um. But I, that's how he's presented, because you can't understand him. There is no understanding him. Absolutely. And one thing that Dr. Loomis does a very good job is just sort of 
giving people this, uh, giving the audience at least some reasons of why this person absolutely cannot be sympathized with. Um, it's someone that cannot even uh, have a conversation, but if you could, it wouldn't be any kind of like a, a rational conversation. And there's a very interesting thing about this. So uh, there's actually a TV version of Halloween. I don't know if you didn't know this. I uh, did not. And in the TV version of Halloween, there's additional scenes that weren't in the actual uh, film release that was put on DVDs and stuff. It was like an extended version. And there's actually a scene, which I guess is kind of a little bit more reminiscent of the Rob Zombie films. But essentially, it's like Dr. Loomis um, talking to people who work for the courts. Uh, Dr. Loomis wants to put him into like a high uh, security sort of prison, essentially. And the courts are just like, ah, that's not necessary. He's just a kid. Um, You can just stay here at the the institution and it'll be fine. And uh, Loomis actually says some really interesting things. So one of the big things he says that is that Michael has no reaction to external stimuli. That's just really haunting when you think about it. And he said that he has an instinctive force within him and that he's waiting for something, but he doesn't know what for. And it makes so much more sense when we get into the retcon stuff in the the other episodes uh, than it does with the original spinoff films that we got. And... It's kind of crazy. So, like, Dr. Loomis goes into the, the actual room with Michael, and he's, like, a teenager at this point. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's like, having these conversations where he's just like, oh, yeah, you, you fooled them, haven't you? Like, you you fooled them to make them think that you're, that you're normal. And he's like, you know, I know, like, what you really are. And that's just, like, crazy, because, like, I think for most people, we've only ever seen, like, the, the film and theatrical release. I only kind of looked at this, like, not too long ago when I was, you know, looking for some of the information about the film. So I started looking yeah. at the videos on YouTube and I was like, holy shit, like, this actually gives you way more background to Michael than you ever than you ever actually get in, you know, the, the theatrical release or, like, at least the, um, you know, any kind of DVD release. Unless there's, like, an extended version. And it- Yeah, I, I would love to see that footage, actually, because, like, the idea of, like, Sorry to interrupt there, but, like, the idea of young Michael, like, just, he's like, oh, you've got them all fooled, you know, da-da-da, and, like, Mm -hmm. him just being completely unreactive. Yeah. He just just stares out the window. He's like, and again, that kind of fits a lot with, um... Almost like he's longing to get out and do some stabbing. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And we all have those days, Michael. You're not the only one. You're not wrong. And it's crazy as well, because I think, um, you know, the, the staring and the sort of constant pondering, you know, it really makes you wonder if there is actually anything going on inside his head or not. But that type of stuff, I guess, tries to get branched out a little bit in, in the 2018 ones and mm. and further films. But at the very least, with Halloween, you know, the original Halloween, 1978, if there's, there's one thing that could be said about this film is it, it was absolutely groundbreaking. It just, it set a, a generation of, of films and created, uh, not necessarily created, but like was a driving force for a lot of spin-off uh, franchises that followed similar veins. 
which now just become like our universal loves. And hmm. I think Michael's just sort of, in a weird way, kind of transcended um, the films because of that. Because people who have never watched Halloween know who Michael Myers is. And well, yeah, he's become a pop culture icon, hasn't he? Yeah. In that way, they know what he looks like. Uh, they know that he's, you know, a killer. They know like his vibe without ever watching the film. You know, whether that's because you've seen masks, posters, whatever. And for horror film, that is like, that is every I imagine every director's goal when they create a horror film to have something that impactful in in culture. Yeah, I mean, it really resonated, and I think, you know, if you get into the film itself um, and and what it achieved in its own sort of lifetime, if you like, it's it, it tells you exactly what effect it had and what it achieved, because it vastly outperformed its uh, its budget didn't it and oh yeah and millions <laughs> like millions of dollars like john carpenter could have never worked again after that film i imagine um which is incredible Absolutely. <laughs> um, and and you know thankfully he did because i like his films uh, my favorite film is is the thing you know oh, yeah. it's in horror at the very least um and that is possibly his magnum opus in, in my opinion mm-hmm. but you can see the hallmarks that make that film so good at least to me the camera work the understanding of of how to make an environment seem a different way based on the camera work like even the outside of the base in that film just to mm-hmm. stay on it for a second feels small yep. um and you can see elements of that in how he films, uh, you know, the fictional town of Haddonfield. Um, he he makes it seem so tiny, so minuscule in that way, um, despite it being, you know, a fairly large suburban town yeah. uh, in in America. You know, which well, let me tell you, it's a pretty big place. Like, <laughs> it, it really is. And it's very, very true, especially because it was generally set up as quite a big, wide neighborhood. And mm. by the end of the film, when everything's surrounded in darkness, it all gets very claustrophobic. And, you know, just want to say a quick shout out as well of like all the uh, iconic scenes from the film. You know, Michael rising up, the um, obviously the coat hanger scene, incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, him going out the window, being shot, and then disappearing. Like, these are things that I think uh, other films have only tried to emulate and never succeeded in the same way. Absolutely just stellar work. So, uh, yeah, I, you know what? I think we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up here because obviously Halloween is a film that has been spoken to death, and I think it's only good that we. I think it's only good that we input uh, any kind of new and interesting perspectives that we have and not sort of rehash a film that I'm sure every person that loves horror has seen. <laughs> um, Apart from me, apparently, but I have now. <laughs> we got there in the end. Uh, yeah, so thank you very much for coming on this episode. Uh, for you guys, um, 
this episode ends, it's, it's going to continue. We're going to carry on talking about Halloween, and you'll get to check that out next week. So stick around, follow the socials, follow the links on the link tree, and you'll get updated when I upload the next episode. Thank you very much, Lawrence. It's been good. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, see you next week, everyone. Have a good one. See you all in the next episode.